0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We are excited to start a brand new series for the month of November called The Kingdom. And um, I don't know about you, but if you've been around church any length of time, you're going to hear a lot of these different phrases and words and, and, uh, in church, and, and some of them you're going to hear and go, okay, that's cool, what is it? And then, and then another Sunday you're going to come and go, well, that's really cool, what is it? And so the kingdom is a, uh, a word or a phrase that is used multiple times through scripture. It's talked about as the kingdom of God, it's talked about as the kingdom of heaven, Um, Jesus references it so many times. And so, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, when I look at Scripture and I I look at what Jesus talks about, I think think every once in a while we need to just take a pause and place a serious emphasis on something that Jesus places a very serious emphasis on in Scripture. Is that okay? So for the next four weeks, we're going to just dive into this thought called the kingdom. In one of the most famous sermons Jesus ever did called the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In the middle there, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, there's a powerful reference to the kingdom that I I just want to share with you. I'm actually going to share it in a couple of different versions of the Bible, and then we're going to jump right in. Matthew 6, 33 for you. Maybe you've heard this verse before. Maybe you've never heard this verse before, but I'm going to just start with the very first part, and it says this, but seek first, say first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you look at some other versions here. I love how it kind of maps it out and fleshes it out. It says this. It says, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Is that good or what? All right. Philip's translation says, set your heart on the kingdom and his goodness. I love there's this one verse, I believe it's in 1 Peter, and it talks about... Um, It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God. Can I say to you this morning that part of the kingdom story, most of the kingdom story, is the fact that God is so good that he made a way for you, even when you had no ability in yourself to make a way. And he paved the way. Another version says, make your top priority God's kingdom and his way of life. So I don't know about you, but whenever I, I'm a fairly simple guy. I like to just get some basic thoughts out of the way so that I can build upon that and understand fully what this is all about. If we're talking about this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God, it kind of leads us to a very basic question. What in the world is the kingdom then? we got to define it. We have to understand it because if not, we'll just talk about it We're going to just sing songs about it, and we can pray about it, and we can come into church and pick up all the Christian lingo and start to talk about it, but if we don't understand what it is, we won't live it out. So what I wanted to start with very simply this morning, as we start this series called The Kingdom, is some basic thoughts around what the kingdom is. Are you ready? So what is it? It is the rule and reign of Jesus on the earth. How many want to see that? All five of you, maybe six, because there was one that was like, I'll just do the one hand. I'm not convinced of the two hand on that one, so I'll just do the one hand on there. It is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. That's what the kingdom of God is. How many would say this morning that this is more needed than any other time in human history? It's always needed but especially today. It also means the blessings that flow from living under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So then it makes it incredibly important for us to make a decision with our lives to come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ rather than come under the rule and reign of self. The epitome of the kingdom is that it is not about you. That the moment we start to live kingdom-minded, or as one church in Ottawa calls themselves, kingdom culture. I love that. It's awesome. The moment we start to live kingdom culture, what comes off of you to everyone around you is the kingdom of the Son. The rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So why is this important for us as believers? Well, very simple. We are subjects of the kingdom when we become Christ followers. We are to extend Jesus' rule and reign on the earth everywhere we go. I love how R.C. Sproul uh, says this. He's a great Christian pastor, author, and he said this. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. I love Second. Corinthians 5 near the last half of the chapter and it talks about we are ambassadors of Christ. We are speaking on behalf of another. An ambassador does not have the right or the privilege of speaking on behalf of himself, but he is simply a messenger, a voice for the one that was sent, the one that sent him. This is what it means to be a kingdom subject or a kingdom citizen. We are literally speaking Not on our own behalf, not with our own authority, but on behalf of the one that sent us. And I have news for you this morning that you have already been given the baton. The gospel is in your life and you have now been sent. And as you go out and as you speak and as you prophesy and you pray and you share and you do whatever you're going to do, every single word that proceeds out of your mouth is kingdom culture infiltrating a darkness in this world. Colossians 1 says that we are here because of what Christ has done and the supremacy of Christ that we are now here on earth to extend the kingdom of God the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and to rob hell and the kingdom of darkness of everyone that they've tried to dupe and deceive and bring them into the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God the kingdom of Jesus the rule and reign of the Son thanks Trace Checks in the mail. All right. Okay. It's good. I don't know about you. I'm fired up today. Honey, I don't know what it was. I had breakfast today. That's what it was. And I had breakfast today, honey. That's what it was. I got to do this more often. I get up Sunday mornings. I'm like, yeah, I'll eat later. And then I get to 1130. I'm like, I can't even. It's like food. Oh, it's like I was to Sunday school and I had your snacks. That's what it was this morning. I went down the hall. Before you got here, I found the snack bin. Woo, Jesus, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, the problem is that Sandra always tries to hide snacks on me, but I always find them. But she thinks that I don't know where they are. Oh, I find them all the time. And then I have five people working for me in the house. That I pay with some of my snacks in order for them to find the snacks so that we can all partake without Mummy's knowledge and everyone said amen okay all right all right all right we are ruling and reigning in our house come on now can i get another witness come on jesus all right all right wow and this is me without sugar (laughs) come on now this is me without sugar for 11 months that's crazy. Wait till January. <laughs> All right. So, what are we talking about this week? All right. What are we talking about? We're going to talk. Yes, yeah, snacks. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk about the kingdom is a treasure. You have to understand this morning that the kingdom is of indescribable worth and value. The kingdom is is of indescribable worth and value. Okay, here's a scenario, and this is audience participation. So if you've never been to a church before where the audience participates, this is going to feel strange for you, but we're going to do it anyway. Are you ready? But I'm not calling anyone up to the front so you can all relax. It's all going to be all good. I'm going to come and sit beside you. Kidding? <laughs> all right. No, I wouldn't do that. Darcy, I'm coming. I'm kidding. All right. No, I wouldn't do that. We've got to go for coffee sometime soon, except I don't drink coffee, but we'll do tea. Okay, my brother, let's do breakfast. Because <laughs> I just felt the snack anointing hit me right there. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So, if you're stranded on a deserted island, far, far away from anywhere else, and you could take one thing with you, what would it be? <laughs> Someone said Impact Kids Snacks. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good. If you could take one thing with you, what would it be? Come on, guys. A boat. A boat. That's interesting. A boat. He would take a boat. A plane. That's smart. But the problem is, what happens if you don't know how to fly it? You suffer. Okay. Anyone on this side? If you could just take one thing, what would it be? I didn't hear that, Bree. Chocolate. Oh, you're the best. Chocolate. What kind of chocolate though? That's important. Uh-huh. We have a oh, that works too. That works too. Anyone else? What do we take with us? You are alone. And there's no Wi-Fi. Just want to clarify. <laughs> okay. There's no Wi-Fi. You are alone. No Wi-Fi. An instrument. Hey, I like that. I'm gonna bring my guitar. I like that one. Satellite phone says the man from the army. <laughs> You're a smart guy. I like that. I do, <laughs> a do not disturb sign. Okay, that's good too. I have a question for you. Think about that one thing that you would take and ask yourself a very simple question. Why are you choosing that and not something else? Why did you think of that? Why did you land there? Why didn't you think of something else? What about that item that is more valuable to you than something else. A number of years ago, over 150 years ago to be exact, there was a, uh, a phenomenon that happened out in California called the California Gold Rush. And I'm just going to throw up a picture up there so you can see it. This is actually footage from the uh, History Channel of the California Gold Rush. And what was interesting about this uh, time was it started in 1848, and what became most famous was 1849 hence the San Francisco 49ers for all you, uh, your football fans, is in 1848 there was a man by the name of James Marshall that found his way out to California into a little town called Coloma, California. And then for the next seven years, over 300,000 people made their way to California from all parts unknown, mostly from the east, some from the south, some actually even from Canada, interestingly enough. And they literally sold every single thing that they owned to go to California in hopes that they would strike it rich. They risked everything for the possibility of a great reward. I hear those stories, and and to be honest with you, part of it's kind of like really wow. Like, wow, it's amazing that they would have done all of that just for the possibility of striking rich. There was no guarantee that would find anything. But for the possibility of striking rich, they sold everything that they have, and they went all the way to California, a place that they didn't know. But what I want you to know today concerning the kingdom of God is that what the earth offers pales in comparison to the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but in our world, we use all this junk and put it together and heat it up, and then we lay it on our streets called pavement. It's just dirt and rocks and junk. God in his infinite wisdom says I'm going to layer my streets with gold. Slight difference. Slight difference. The kingdom of heaven is so much more worthy and of greater value than the kingdom of this world could ever offer. John Wesley said this. I love John Wesley. If you've ever read anything by John Wesley, you get to the end of it and you just want to pray because you don't even feel like you're a Christian. Literally. You, you, you read it and go, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. And you read it and just keep giving your life to Christ. So every time you read something by John Wesley, it's like you have a salvation experience over and over and over again. And this is what he said. Give me 100 men who love only God with all their heart and hate only sin with all their heart and we will shake the gates of hell and bring in the kingdom of God in one generation. Why is this important? Thought number one. What is worth it isn't easy. And what's easy isn't worth it. Matthew chapter 13, this is our key passage, which we're going to come back to at the end of the message. It's uh, found in verses 43 and 44, and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, and it says this, then the godly ones will shine like the brightness of the sun in their father's kingdom realm. Love that. That's a great start. If you're able to understand this, then you'd better respond. In other words, the kingdom of God is beckoning you to respond. You just can't dip your toes in when it comes to the kingdom of God. goes in verse 44. He wants to illustrate this in verse 44, and he says this. Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was a hidden treasure in a field, and upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. In ancient times, there was, and some of you may have seen this even in old western movies where you'd see people that come out west in the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s, and when they find their plot of land, especially if they were homesteaders, they would find their plot of land, they would go find some really obscure place on that piece of land. And they would dig a hole about three or four feet deep, and they would put their money stash in this giant bag, and they would stuff it into the ground. They would put all the dirt on top of it. They would take a a kind of a walk backwards about 200 feet, and then they would attempt to draw a basic map as to where they just hid their treasure. Why was that important for them? Because they didn't trust banks, they were corrupt. They weren't sure if their money would be stolen or taken or if they'd lose some or whatever the scenario was, so what they did is they buried it on their land. Well, interestingly enough, 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel, this happened as well. They would literally bury their treasure, their money, their, their maybe it was a, a possession, that a family heirloom that they didn't want to leave or lose, so what they did is they buried it and they made note of where they buried it so they could find it again, and so they would literally bury something important in order to protect their wealth. That's what they would do. So the man in this story literally believes that the treasure that he has found is so worth his investment that he literally sells every single thing that he has in order to purchase the land just to get the treasure. It was not easy because it cost him his livelihood. It literally cost him everything. But in the end... It was worth it. Amen? Jesus likens this treasure to the kingdom of God because of the surpassing worth of knowing God. And being connected in relationship to Him. It too was not easy. (laughs) But it's worth it. So what did they have to do? The second thought is this. They had to count the cost. I'm going to read a passage in Luke chapter 14. It says this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Verse 32, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those, who, uh, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Interesting here, there's two stories, but mo- both of them make a very, very clear, very clear point. And it's simply this. When you come into the kingdom, you have to count the cost. You have to understand what that cost is. If you're going to commit to something, it's important to know if you have what it takes to follow through. How many have ever heard this phrase that salvation in Jesus is free? How many know theologically that's accurate, correct? But to live for Jesus, to live in the kingdom of God, to allow the rule and reign of Jesus the Son in your life means it's going to cost you big. It got quiet. <laughs> What's it going to cost you? Well, I'm going to tell you what it's cost me. Maybe this, maybe you'll relate to it. It's cost me certain friends. It's cost me certain people in my life, because they weren't going where I was going, and you can only, only drag people so long before they don't want to be dragged anymore, right? It's cost me hobbies. Man, I'd love to still go out and play hockey five times a week like I used to do. I don't do that anymore. I gave it up. That doesn't mean I still can't play hockey. It doesn't mean I can't do this, that, and the other thing. But it means that my priorities are completely different than they were when I was 18. When I was 18, it was just all about me. What did I want to do? How I want to do it? How often I want to do it? And how much fun I was having while I was doing it? And that was all that it was about. I'm going to go one step further. It's going to cost you your finances. right? It's going to cost your status with certain people. It's going to cost a lot. But to be a part of God's kingdom is actually the moment where you discover true life. Everything else is just fluff. It is. The kingdom is all that matters. So gets me to point three. The kingdom life or kingdom culture you can say it is sacrificial in nature. Luke fourteen, verses twenty five to twenty seven says, large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but those are those verses that you read when you want to be encouraged. You know, Lord, I just want to feel encouraged today. Hate everything but me. Really? Somehow that doesn't line up with my theology, Lord. I, I, shouldn't we love all those people? Yes. But I want my love flowing through you, not yours. Because your love is limited. Your love can't heal and make someone whole. My love can so, I do want to use you to love those people, but not as you, but as a true Christ follower who's living the kingdom culture, because it's in that place people are healed and made whole. Amen? There's a cost to following Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something that I learned over 20 years ago the cost to not following him is far greater, because it's eternal. Why is this important? Because eternity lasts a really long time. It does. That's why it's called eternity. So what do we do? Jesus understood this cost. Helps us understand it. He he understood it because it cost him his life. So what do we do as a response? What, what do we do to make sure that the kingdom of God is absolutely prioritized in our lives? So three basic thoughts I thought of this week I wanted to share with you. Number one, take account of the things that are, not, that are most valuable to you. That's what you can do this week. Take account of the things that are most valuable to you. Okay? Just as a heads up for those that are on Instagram or, or Twitter that are following uh, our church, you're going to see every single day during this entire series a reflection on the kingdom that we want you to think about and pray about so the first one's already out so when you go home you can look at it just don't look at it now look at it when you get home the second thing is this make a conscious choice to prioritize the kingdom of god it means certain things are going to be reprioritized you're going to do things different number three go to radical measures to put god first He says, what's well, that's a little bold can I free your mind of the pain of what I went through for the first 22 years of my life? Is I was a 90% in Christian. And you know what I struggled with constantly? Is all of the voices in my head that said, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay to live for Jesus. Just don't go that far. You would look weird. Don't go all out. You just look different. And everyone will, will think of you different. And I would make choices to just keep backing up. Like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to stand out. I don't, want to, I don't want to draw attention to myself. It's amazing how the enemy will just play with your mind. The enemy will convince you of anything when it comes to the kingdom. Oh, yeah, no, that's good. You go to church. That's good enough. You read your Bible once this month. Good girl. Yay. That's good. Most Christians don't do that. so you're better than most. Yay, I'm better than most. Woo. You know? And here's what happens is we actually start to create a pseudo-kingdom in our thoughts and say, I'm going to have the version of the kingdom that doesn't cost me everything, but it's going to look like it does. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. Is we actually are just How many have ever been in the winter and you've been trying to rev your car to move forward and the tires are not catching and your tires are just spinning? That's what it's like when you don't put the kingdom first in your life. It's frustrating because you're expanding a lot of energy, but you're going not very far very quickly. But you're expanding a lot of energy. And all he wants you to do is put on the winter tires of Jesus Christ. I don't know. That's a great analogy, Right. And just put on the winter tires, Michelin defenders, of Jesus Christ so that you can get traction with the kingdom and move forward. So how do we do that? We reprioritize. All right, number four, the reward is not about what we get, but who we become. Philippians 3, 7 and 9 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ to become one with him. So here's a story of Paul expressing a thought to the Philippian church. And for those that know the history and the pattern of Paul, at one moment he says, "I'm the least of all the apostles." Then he goes one step further a couple of years later and says, "I'm the least of all the saints." And in Philippians he literally highlights a list of things that he's done that he could have easily said, "Hey, Here's my, the jewels in my crown. This is how awesome I've been. And his response is, I count it all as rubbish to know Christ. That's it. He understood in that moment that it was the kingdom of God that was the treasure. <laughs> he got it. He understood that it was Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in his heart That was the treasure. That's why he could say in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And I honestly think that he was speaking about two different things. I think he knew his life was coming to an end, yes. But he also understood what life could be like when we absolutely completely come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And we die to ourselves and live to Christ. It's powerful. Kingdom life is life in Christ. That's it. Christ, Jesus, is our treasure. And then he goes on in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, and he says this. I'm not saying that I have, all, uh, have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to who? Jesus. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. Paul understood a very simple thought. Jesus was the prize. Jesus was the goal. Jesus is the high call. Simple as that. Fifth thought in this. A treasure worth sharing. Or a treasure worthy of sharing. Cornell West, an author, said this. If the kingdom of God is in you, you should leave a little bit of heaven wherever you go. <laughs> I love that. We live in a day and age where our culture tells us once you find a treasure, hide it. Bury it. Keep it to yourself. And Jesus goes if you find something give it away. Give it away, give it away, give it away. Just keep giving it away. Take a little bit more of my love and give it away. Take a little bit more of my forgiveness and give it away. Take a little bit more of my mercy and give it away. Take a little bit more of my truth and give it away. Take a little bit more and give it away. Because that's the heart of God for us. Accumulation is worthless because it's the kingdom of self. <laughs> but sacrifice in the pursuit of God is worth it because it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God's definition. It's the principles. It's everything. How many have ever heard this thought that, you know, we're supposed to find meaning in life, supposed to find a purpose in life, right? And I don't think that's wrong. Actually, I think it's good. But the problem is is we're often looking inward instead of to Christ who separates us from the things of the world and positions us within his purpose, which is to do what? To rule and reign on the earth as little Christ's little Christians everywhere we go. That is the heart of God. For you, it's the heart of God. For this house, it's the heart of God. For everything. I want to come back and I want to land on our key verse one last time. And I'm going to come into for a close here, and then we're going to pray. And there's just a song that's been on my heart, so I know Sandra and Bree are going to help uh, sing it here in a second. But I want to read this verse once again. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44. And it says this, Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. And because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Now I want you to read that verse again. And I want you to capitalize... The P in person. And I want you to think about this different. A person, capital P. Any, any idea who that could be? Jesus. Discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Guess who the hidden treasure is? You. Upon finding it, he hid it again because of uncovering such treasure. He was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. I want to share with you um, very quickly about an ancient ritual that happened in Jewish culture that ties into this so beautifully. It is amazing. How many have ever heard of Mary and Joseph? How many have heard of baby Jesus? I'm sure we're going to see over the next month and a half a lot more about Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and little baby Jesus and swaddling clothes in a manger. It's like my favorite time of year. Christmas music goes on in our house the, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving Monday. So that we have so much Christmas wonderful songs going on. Well, I love Christmas. It's like my favorite time of year. But you will remember in the story, the Christmas story, that... that it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. But that we understand in Jewish culture that they actually weren't, they were married, but they haven't consummated their marriage. They, in order to break the betrothal, they had to have a legal divorce. Even though they weren't technically married, they were only betrothed. And there's an interesting little part of this story that if, for those that love to study history and especially Jewish history, there's a lot of nuggets that are just so awesome. But there's something in Jewish tradition called a bride price. And what it is, is back in those days, a daughter um, worked hard within her father's house, and within her father's business. And so whenever someone wanted to betrothed to one of their daughters, they realized very quickly that they're going to be losing a worker, a servant that could help in the house and get things done around the house. And so what a man would do is that he would pay a bride price to be, be betrothed to the daughter of his future father-in-law guess who set the price for the daughter the father oh yeah you want my daughter <laughs> how bad how much money do you got you know what I'm saying could you imagine? I could, I could just picture your dad right now, honey, because he had this deep voice and he had the most like, intimidating scowl when he wanted to do it, but he was like a teddy bear. But he would play with your mind and make you feel like he was angry at you and then he would burst out into this crazy laughter. That was Kenneth, Sandra's dad. But I'm thinking to myself, what would he have done to me if I came to him and said... I would like to pay a bride price for your daughter, sir. And I can just see him right now. Give me the entire continent of North America. And my response would be including PEI? Yeah. He says, I know, I'm a fan of Anna Green Gables, too. (laughs) Yeah, I am. He goes, yeah, no problem. What else do you want? Get me the moon. Like Despicable Me kind of get me the moon? Get me the moon. I can get you the moon. And in that moment, when I was processing through the sheer and overwhelming value of what Sandra was, who she is, I could honestly say I'd pay anything. So Jesus came to earth, and he says, I want a bride. I want a bride. And he went to the bride's father, who just so happened to be his father, and said, what will it take to get my bride back? Your life, son. My life for all of theirs? Yep. Everyone who's ever lived and anyone who will ever live in the future? Yep. Are you willing to pay that price? He said, Father, yes, I am. Do you want to know why he could do that? Because you were his treasure. It is obedience to the will of God that took Jesus to the cross, but it was you that kept him up there. There is nothing that he would not do and has already done to purchase the field because you were his treasure and he wanted you so bad. And the response that we give to him is simply a response that says, wow, God, you're awesome. What can I do for you? And he says, Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. There's a second part of this story in Jewish tradition that goes one step further, and it's not just the bride price, but he now has to pay a dowry. This is going to sound really morbid, but he pays the dowry so that in case he dies during the betrothal period, that girl has some sort of support and the father has some sort of support for her. So Jesus came and he paid not just the bride price with his own life, <laughs> but paid a dowry. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Bible says is the seal of of our redemption, seal of our relationship with Christ and the Father through Christ. It says, I've left Him here to walk with you, to be with you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to empower you, to activate you for the things that God is calling you to do. And He's simply saying, I love you. There's nothing that he would not do to chase you down. (laughs) Some of us don't like that because he's constantly chasing us down. But it's because he loves you. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.